Good morning. The passage for today is 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 13. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, how he had killed all Baal's prophets with the sword. Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah with this message. May the gods do whatever they want to me, if by this time tomorrow I haven't made your life like the life of one of them. Elijah was terrified. He got up and ran for his life. He arrived at Beersheba in Judah and left his assistant there. He himself went farther on into the desert a day's journey. He finally sat down under a solitary broom bush. He longed for his own death. It's more than enough, Lord. Take my life because I'm no better than my ancestors. He lay down and slept under the solitary broom bush. Then suddenly a messenger tapped him and said to him, get up, eat something. Elijah opened his eyes and saw flatbread baked on glowing coals and a jar of water right by his head. He ate and drank and then went back to sleep. The Lord's messenger returned a second time and tapped him. Get up, the messenger said. Eat something because you have a difficult road ahead of you. Elijah got up, ate and drank and went refreshed by the food for 40 days and nights until he arrived at Horeb, God's mountain. There he went into a cave and spent the night. The Lord's word came to him and said, Why are you here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I've been very passionate for the Lord God of heavenly forces because the Israelites have abandoned your covenant. They have torn down your altars and they have murdered your prophets with the sword. I'm the only one left and now they want to take my life too. The Lord said, go out and stand at the mountain before the Lord. The Lord is passing by. A very strong wind tore through the mountains and broke apart the stones before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord wasn't in the fire. After the fire, there was a sound. Thin, quiet. When Elijah heard it, He wrapped his face in his coat. He went out and stood at the cave's entrance. A voice came to him and said, Why are you here, Elijah? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Warren. Good morning, everybody. Happy New Year. We are uh, together heading in a direction through January that I'm, I'm excited about because I need to revisit this focus, this posture pretty often. It probably says something about my own inner state of anxiety or rest, but, and also the fact that we live in LA, that having a conversation together about rest, about Sabbath, about quiet all through January, it feels like a very suitable way to start the new year. Often, whenever I've grown up in church, uh, you get sermons today, the first Sunday of the new year, on what you can add to your life, on resolutions you can make so that you can be even better this year than you were last year, because there's just a better you just like right around the corner. Um, That's exhausting, and I'm exhausted from Advent and Christmas. So what would it mean to start this year being a little bit less and quieter more still. That's what we're going to do this morning. That's what we're going to do all through January. You heard the story this morning from 1 Kings 19, but first I want to tell you a story about the Bible. Not really about the Bible, about me telling a story about the Bible, which is very, very meta. Years ago, 
like really, really early when I was in ministry, I was doing a children's camp in the summer, what we call like vacation Bible school, or here we talk about it, science camp or art camp. And I was assigned, because I didn't have a choice in the matter, it was early in ministry, you didn't get to say what you were going to do about anything. I was assigned the Bible story time with all of the kids, which, Mary, do you like Bible study time, Mary, when you do it? Okay, but you, you, I feel like, Mary, we could assign anything and you would be full of excitement and joy. I did not make that face you just made when they told me I was going to do Bible time. And I thought, okay, we've got them for like 45 minutes. And these are kids ages pre-K up through sixth grade. And at this point, they all have phones and computers and many, many ways to ignore you. So what am I going to do? So I asked a colleague of mine, how am I going to structure this time? And what we decided, and it ended up being so much fun, is we put on little plays in the moment uh, for each Bible story. We would bring a bunch of props and costumes in. The kids didn't know what was going to happen. And then I just sort of played stage director and told everyone what to do. And I would... Uh, sort of point at them and tell them to say a line and then point at this group and tell them to say a line and they would have props and they would have, it was fun. It was a week of this though. And my part was I think maybe four, four and a half hours a day of different groups coming through and doing this. And uh, <clears throat> I have to take a walk, tip water just telling this story. I'm already getting exhausted. You know, there'd be like 20 to 30 something kids in the room and it was just me and maybe a couple of helpers that were rotating with them. So what did I do to keep the kids' attention as a dummy? I yelled the whole time. And when the kids would yell, because they're kids, I would do what? I would get louder, right? A week of this. And it was before I knew enough to know that as a preacher, you should protect your voice. So I'm just screaming the entire week. And I'm laughing. I'm having a great time. But for I'm not kidding, half a year after, I was still hoarse. Like, just wasn't right <clears throat> at all. And I didn't know any better. I just thought, if you want to get loud kids' attention, you scream louder than the kids. For five hours a day. Four weeks straight. It's not the way to do it. Because a couple of years later, I was with a teacher, someone very much like you, Mary, and the kids were loud in whatever room we were in, and the teacher did what? Got quiet. And started like whispering. All the kids got quiet. And I thought, this is a miracle. <laughs> and then I also retroactively thought, I'm an idiot <clears throat> for what happened before. This today, the story of Elijah, is a lot like that story. It's a lot of yelling and it's a lot of noise and it's a little bit, if any, listening. But it's the way I want to start this year together on this story. I don't know what you walked in with. And I, you know, I get on rants and soapboxes. It's part of this feels sometimes like a big soapbox up here. Uh, and one of them is the ways that we live our lives, like pretty much distracted all of the time by whatever it is in your life that distracts you. And I could blame it on things like social media or that I have a smartphone in my pocket all the time. I don't right now. It's turned off and it's in my office, which feels like a little part of me is dead when my phone is off. Right. Who else in here has their phone on them and on right now? Let's see those hands. And if I asked if every time someone got like a notification this morning, if you would just stand up and clap really loud. Well, first of all, would you do it? But also it would be super distracting. That's what's happening in our brains a lot of the time. So you got one. 
Now, I would dare you, dare you to turn your phones off for the next hour, but I know that many of you won't. In other churches where I've worked, I've been told before that like folks are posting things on social media while I'm preaching. And at first I thought, that's cool. They're posting about this. No, I'm not posting about the sermon. They're posting about whatever they're going to do the next day or the day before. No one is right to listen. It's a difficult skill these days. And so part of what we need to talk about is how to turn down the noise. That background hum as he takes a picture with his phone. (laughs) That's where we are this morning. And if you have found yourself in a space for a long time or maybe just a short period of time where you cannot focus on what you intend to focus on. Namely, especially when we're here in worship together, focusing on God and God's good world. Because that's what gets lost for me in the noise. I don't know what gets lost for you. But often all of these other things, they start to flood in. So I want to start with this story from uh, the tradition in Judaism known as Midrash, uh, which is this rabbinical uh, process of interpretation where they sort of tell fun, fantastical stories around the text. So uh, this is the letter Beit in the Hebrew alphabet. Hebrew alphabet is uh, Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalet, Hey, it kind of keeps going. So Aleph is the first letter, Beit is the second letter or the second character. Beit is the very first letter or character that shows up in Torah or in the Hebrew Bible or what we would call Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. You've heard me say this before. So the first verse, the first words that are spoken and written in the text are Bereshit bara Elohim. Bereshit bara Elohim. In the beginning, God created. And Bereshit starts with Beit. It is the first letter that is uttered in Torah. This is a big deal. But here's the problem that arises. It's not the first character in the Hebrew alphabet. The first character in the Hebrew alphabet is this character, Aleph. And Aleph is pretty frustrated that Beit gets to go first. So in this tradition of Midrash, the, the characters, they kind of have their own personality in their own life and they talk to one another, they talk to God, super fun. Uh, so Aleph at some point shows up to God and starts to complain and says, I'm, I'm super frustrated, God, that you would choose Beit to speak Torah to the world for the first time. I'm the first letter, why wouldn't you use me to speak first? Now, here's what you need to know about Aleph. Aleph, there's two characters in the Hebrew uh, alphabet that don't have sound. You might think that Aleph is like our A sound, but our A sound has a lot of noise. A, ah. In other dialects of English, you can hear, like there's some people say there's up to nine different sounds that our A vowel can, can sort of evoke into the world. Aleph, it sounds like this. Right? Nothing. It's almost like the sound of silence. Now, one writer, Rabbi Kushner, says that Aleph is actually the sound right before a sound. So if you were to take in some breath before you're going to speak, and you hear that stop, that glottal stop in the back, and then that's Aleph, the sound right before the sound. It'd be like if you were a trumpet player, that sound of intake right before you make the noise. That's Aleph. And so God says to the Aleph, says, like, settle down. Settle down, little buddy. Because we're going to come to the mountain of the Lord, to Sinai. And there's going to be thunder and there's going to be lightning. And Moses is going to be there and all the people are going to gather around. And in that space, I'm going to share with them 
the law and the commandments. I'm going to speak from the mountain. And so in Exodus 20, there's all of this noise and all of this cacophony. And God gets ready to speak. And the text says that God's the, these words, Anochi Adonai Elohecha, I am the Lord your God. And the first words that God says on the mountain to those freed people is silence before an utterance. And Olive gets to take the lead. What would it look like? What would it feel like or sound like to hear the sound before the sound? What God intends to say to us. It takes a certain kind of tuning of the ear. So we need to talk about Elijah for a little bit. If you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. Elijah is a great and super weird character. He is sort of the, the prophet par excellence. And he's a little bit crazy. And he's a lot of bit zealous. So if you go back one chapter to the chapter before, you get uh, what's known as like the big battle between the prophets of Baal and Elijah, the prophet of the Lord. So here's how this goes down. It's in chapter 18. Elijah decides he's going to call, uh, going to call all the prophets together of this local deity named Baal, who is sort of the biggest temptation toward idolatry at the time for the people. And there are all of these prophets of Baal and they all show up on a mountain and Elijah says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get two bulls. I get a bull, you get a bull. You take your bull, you put it on the altar and you do whatever it is you need to do to call your God Baal down. And then let's see how Baal responds to your call. There's an offering on the altar so that your God should come down and should eat the, eat the offering and should be very thankful. And then we'll all see the power of Baal, right? And then Elijah says, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to take my bull and I'm going to put it on the altar of the Lord. And then we're just going to see what happens. Let's just see what happens. And so it says that the prophets of Baal say, that's a great idea. Let's do that. That's, that's exactly what the Hebrew says, by the way. Elijah says to the prophets, choose a bull for yourselves, prepare it for your many, call in the name of your God, and put no fire to it. So they took the bulls given to them, prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, crying, screaming. Oh, Baal, answer us. I brought a tool just to show you what this would have sounded like, right? This is, this always lives in my office. Because I found that the staff listens better to me if I just speak through a megaphone anything I need. Actually, every time I pull this thing out, people roll their eyes. Right, so from morning until noon, the prophets of Baal on the mountain, and they're yelling, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no answer. No voice. The text is super clear. There was no voice. There was no answer. So they limped about the altar that they had made. At noon, Elijah mocked them, crying about, Cry louder. Maybe your God didn't hear you. Or maybe your God is sleeping. Or maybe not paying attention. (laughs) Thank you, Ruthie. Thank you for that. (laughs) And so 
They cry louder, as is their custom. They cut themselves with sword. They make a show of it. They are pitching a fit to their God. And as midday passed, they raved on and on until the time was up. But there was no voice. There was no answer. And there was no response. So then Elijah pulls everyone close in. It's Elijah's turn to go. Pulls everybody in close. He tells them to dig a trench around the altar. And then to get a bunch of water and to pour it all over the bowl. And to pour it all over the trench so it's full. And then the story goes that God responds and fire comes down. And the Hebrew text, it says that, that God eats up like it's Thanksgiving feast, the bull. And then after you eat a bull, apparently, when you're a divinity character, you get really thirsty. And so that God then drinks all of the water. The fire, it says the fire licks up the water, which is pretty impressive. And so all of the folks now at this point, they fall on their faces when they see this and say that indeed the Lord is God. The Lord indeed is God. But Elijah can't leave well enough alone. So Elijah thinks it's a little bit like spiking the ball after you're already way ahead in the game. Elijah says, how about now we let's just let's kill all of them because clearly our God is better. But I don't know if they've gotten the message. So he rounds up all the prophets of Baal and puts them to the sword. It doesn't really say in the text that God told Elijah to do that. Elijah just sometimes gets a little bit excited and doesn't know when to stop. That brings us to today's passage. When the powers that be at the time, Jezebel and Ahab, hear about what Elijah has done and all of the death, they get upset and they go after him. And it says that Elijah is afraid. Elijah never gets afraid. You just saw what Elijah did. You just heard it. But Elijah is afraid and Elijah flees. And this gets us to where we are today. In fleeing, Elijah starts to feel bad for himself and starts to throw a bit of a pity party. Finds a tree, goes and cries under the tree, wishes that he could die under the tree. And then an angel comes and says, like, what, get up and eat. Gets up, feeds him from heaven. Elijah goes, stops again by himself, falls asleep, whines and complains. If only I could die. This is the living worst. And then the angel gets and says, like, get up. You need your strength. Eat and go. And so it says that he eats and drinks and goes 40 days and 40 nights into the wilderness. This should sound familiar to us. When we hear language of 40 and we hear language of, of wilderness or bemidbar, it's the space in between Egypt and the promised land. It's that space in between of becoming. It's exactly what the Israelites do when they journey to Sinai. And so Elijah takes the path that his ancestors have trod and takes on the role of Moses. And it says in chapter 19, the word of the Lord came to him. He gets to Mount Horeb, which is also Mount Sinai, which is where you hear Anochi Adonai, Eloiho, right? I am the Lord your God. The Ten Commandments, all of that happens in this space. That's where Elijah is and hides himself in a cave. And then God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he answers, as if he has not heard the question. I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the Israelites, they have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets by the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. <sighs> like that's what Elijah is doing. 
And so God says, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now, there is this moment in uh, the book of Exodus when the whole story ruptures in around chapter 32. And this is the golden calf incident. After everything is made right after the golden calf incident, Moses really needs to see and hear from God again. So Moses begs for, can I please see your glory? And God says, that's not going to work. But you can see just a little bit of something. But you need to go hide in the cleft of a rock and I'm going to pass by you. Can you Again, can you feel the resonance between these two passages? I'm about to pass before you, Elijah. So Elijah goes and hides in a cave. And what Elijah should expect at this point is all of that noise, is all of that thunder, is all of that lightning and earthquake, because that is what God spoke like last time. Sometimes we expect, we need God to be all fire and earthquake and loud. We need God to do the work for us because we're just not listening. We're not listening. And so it's like me with all those kids. If God would just get louder and louder, and finally I might listen. But here's what the text says happens. It says, now there was a great wind, so strong That it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. Brian, let's go to the next slide. This is a great breath or wind or spirit. A great ruach. So great that it breaks the mountain in two. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind... An earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, the fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire was this. This is one of these phrases that is just so evocative. And uh, when Warren and I were talking about the reading for this passage, we started talking about all the different ways that this phrase gets interpreted. You might have heard of it as the still small voice, which is a fine interpretation. Let's see the next one. This is how um, my professor, Dr. Ellen Davis, talks about this sound. She preached on this text at my graduation from Divinity School. It's the sound of a finely textured silence. Elijah was expecting one thing, because that's how God speaks. He doesn't sense God in all of those big movements and all of those big moments. But when this happens, the sound of a finely textured silence. This is a lot like the Aleph. It says that Elijah Shema, that Elijah hears. Now, language of hearing is the language of understanding that now, here, is the Lord speaking. Next. It has been said that Judaism, which is the faith that gives life to Christianity, is a language of the ear. 
most of our experience in the world is of sight. I mean, we live in a world suffused with images. I mean, especially in a place like L.A., what things look like is what things actually are. But Judaism is much more concerned with what things sound like. In fact, the world of images is like a pretty dangerous world. That's why there's so many commandments about being careful about imaging the divine. Like, don't make a graven image of the Lord. You might end up getting things just slightly askew. And don't be tempted by this kind of glittery facade of things. But listen. Deuteronomy 6, the sort of central commandment in the Hebrew scriptures is the Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Chad, Hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Shema is command to listen. And when God speaks to Elijah after earthquake and after storm and after fire, first of all, I don't know how Elijah could hear anything anymore. Like if I, if I did one of these to you, Ted, and I, no, I'm not going to do it. But if I did that, I don't know if you would be able to hear anything for quite a while. Or maybe you would only be able to hear God's voice after all the ringing. So God, yes, not the loudest thing you've ever heard. That's definitely for sure. We have to listen. God is speaking intends to communicate because the language of speech is the language of relationship. My own speaking right now only makes sense in your hearing. And we are having at least the beginning of a dialogue. And at some point we'll have a conversation. You'll speak back to me and I will listen. And staying attuned to that dimension in which God speaks, sound of a thinly textured silence. That is going to take some work on our part, some quieting on our part, and some calming down. Next. So I, uh, that's a really close up of me. Um, I was reading this week and came across a fact that I know, but I never thought about. Which is, this kind of gets us to how important hearing is. Over time, our bodies and bodies of lots of animals have evolved so that we can stop seeing things. What's the way we stop seeing things? We just close these wonderful curtains that live right on top of our brow over our eyes. It's brilliant. And we can stop seeing things whenever we want to. Right? We were given eyelids. It is super important that we are always listening though. It's why when your alarm goes off in the morning, you wake up. Or for us, our dog's been sleeping outside of her kennel in our bed or in the kid's bed. And when she jumps off the bed at two in the morning, you hear those nails cracking around, you know that you have about 15 minutes before you're gonna have to clean up at two in the morning from a dog mess. And so immediately you hear and you respond because what do we not have? Next one. We have no ear lids. That would be fun. Now, you might wish you had ear lids when you have a, like a, a six-week-old. Lindsay, where are you? Right? Her and Gavin expecting a child. Or It's very important that we are always listening. And so this is the way that we were made. To always be aware and to be attuned. Uh, how many people flew over the holidays somewhere? 
And how many people just loved, loved the person sitting next to them that they didn't know before the flight, but they were so lucky that they sat next to somebody who had a lot of stories to share during the flight. Uh, you actually did, I bet, because you are a good listener. <laughs> uh, I'm a terrible listener. So I have all of these tricks to make sure no one speaks to me on a plane. But my best trick is just wear a tank top. <laughs> if, if you're the dude without any shoes on and a tank top on a plane, turns out nobody wants to talk to you. <laughs> My in-laws were here and they were telling me the folks they sat next to in the plane and I thought I should get them. Uh, I should probably get for them like these. We had to invent a way to stop hearing things. Noise canceling headphones. Because we're always, it is very hard to shut out all of the noise. But what happens when God uses the whisper? This week, as I was thinking about this text, I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to recreate the conditions that Elijah heard God speak. And then I'm going to hear God speak. Which is a little bit presumptuous because it's pretty much what Elijah did when he said, I'm going to create the conditions by which God spoke to Moses. And then I'm going to hear God speak. All lightning and thunder and earthquake and fire. So I think, what if I could just quiet myself long enough and then I'll hear God. Right? Foolproof plan. Because if there's anything you can predict in the world, it's how to make God respond to you on your timing. That's the lesson of this sermon today. So, uh, turns out there's a place in Pasadena called Float. Have you been to Float? It's a sensory deprivation tank. And it's just down the street. And so I signed up really quick and I went and you just like lay in... Oh, it's brilliant. I can't promise you're going to hear God though. Because I, I didn't. I got, I got, so I was in there for an hour and you're in this heavy, heavily salinated water. So you float right to the top. It feels very much like a womb experience. The lights go down. It's super dark. It's very, very quiet. You can hear everything. I could hear my own heartbeat and you can start to hear like all of the things that are happening, cricks and cracks. And I mean, it's just so much noise in the midst of this silence. And after I got done, I was telling Corey about it and she says, did you hear God? And I said, not yet. Still waiting. Listening is a practice that takes time, and I can't book an hour appointment, you can't either, to tune yourself well enough to hear God speaking. Sometimes it's quiet, and sometimes it actually sounds something more like, What are you doing here, Elijah? Really clear and well spoken. There's this other side, though, to listening, which is God's listening. And God's listening to us and to creation is the listening that tunes us back. So next slide. I've told you this story before, but this this story is so central to my own life and to Corey's life and to Judah's, too, uh, that there are different parts of it that I always can come back to and, and revisit. So if you remember when Judah was born, Judah, throw your hand up. Uh, Judah's our firstborn 11-year-old. He was born. He was born with a heart condition known as supraventricular tachycardia. That sounds terrifying. What it means is that his heart beats really, really fast. It did when he was born. It's like 300 beats a minute, which I, I hear is too fast, like it's hummingbird speed. And 
so there's all of this trauma around his birth. But after the trauma, we all went home. And the doctors were like, he seems to be okay. One-time event. Go on ahead home. And, uh, and just keep an eye on things. And you know, when you have a child, there is no hand, there's no handbook to this thing. And you're already afraid you're gonna break the thing. And then they tell you that like, the, the baby might be okay, but also might have 300 beats per minute at some point. And I, so we're, you know, we're feeling all kinds of on edge. Uh, but we thought maybe it was a one-time event. Corey's sitting with Judah, like what, how many weeks was it? Corey, six? Three weeks. And, uh, so she's sitting with Judah on her, uh, sorry, like right here. And she senses that something is off because what are moms doing with newborns? They're listening for everything. Lindsay, you're not going to relax for like years. (laughs) And you hear, you feel. That he's back in it, 300 beats a minute. And you just tell me, like, something's wrong, we gotta get you to the hospital. Turns out, he was. I didn't know. But you had, something had, had attuned your own listening for danger. And you were hyper aware. Now, there comes a point at which the parent's deep listening to the child has to be exchanged for the child's deep listening to the parent. And if we're doing our jobs well, then Corey's calm becomes infectious to the child's calm. The child has to learn to listen. Which is why, when you want to get a bunch of kids' attention, this is not the best way. Right? It's the teacher that knows you quiet yourself. And then the children begin to quiet down. There's this passage in the New Testament that says, cast all of your concerns and anxieties on God because he cares so very much for you. I don't know if you feel like you've heard God speak, God nudge you, but I can guarantee you that God has heard you. God is always listening. That's the big reveal with the prophets of Baal. They think you have to yell to get God's attention. You have to throw a fit, that you have to scream, that you have to make your presence known, you have to make a bunch of noise. And it can get really anxious to feel like that's the way religion has to work. Has to get bigger and louder. And then God might hear us. As though God's listening is conditioned on our ability to make a bunch of noise. Next slide. This is the dimension out of which God speaks to Elijah. And it says that Elijah hears. Not exactly what Elijah hears, but that Elijah hears. So much of what we do in church together, for good reason, is pile words upon words upon words upon words. 
prayers and singing and this guy talking for so long. It's so much speech. And a lot of it is all of us together directing our intentions and affections toward God and toward one another. It's a good project. It's a good practice. But at the beginning of this year as we start, what would it look like to say a little bit less and to listen a little bit more? It's to believe this last piece here. God is not shouting to be heard. And you don't have to either. Elijah pitching the fit does not get God's attention. And all the prophets screaming does not make the God Baal show up. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. God is speaking. The way that the New Testament writers talk about God's speech is the person of Jesus, known as the Word. Our invitation each Sunday, each day, each morning when we rise is to tune our listening to the dimension out of which God is speaking. And it is going to take practice turning down the volume in our lives. It's going to take practice listening for God. Just like children listening for their mother, it's okay. It's all right. Voice not raised. Anger not employed. But stillness. And a finely textured silence. you pray with me? Attune our listening hearts, God, to the dimension out of which you are speaking. Unclog our ears. Roll down the background hum. Surprise us, delight us with your words that make our world. Amen.